All right, um, welcome everyone, and before we get started, uh, it's not a repeat of last week, but Paul spends three chapters talking about, if just on the surface we look at it, uh, talking about food offered to idols. And we talked a little bit about that last week and how we're supposed to, 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 to always be thinking of the other, and we're going to talk about that again today because... Paul spends so much time on it in, in, in 1 Corinthians. So for those of you who have not been here and not been able to be here all the weeks of this series so far, let me just give you the quick overview of Paul's intent in 1 Corinthians. He is writing to the church in Corinth. Corinth is like San Francisco today, then. It's just very cosmopolitan. Anything goes. Anyone can do anything. They had temples. Uh, they had temples in about a, about a half, uh, uh, excuse me, about 10, 10% of the women in that surrounding area offered themselves as, um, offered their bodies to men in worship of Aphrodite. And so it was a very promiscuous culture. And Paul speaks to several different things that are going on there in the church. He speaks to the unity in the church and how there were divisions. He speaks about sexual immorality. He speaks, it seems like, a lot about food offered to idols. Then he talks about what happens in worship, and he kind of concludes with the, how important the gospel of Jesus Christ, and especially the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is. So why is he, why is he going in those specific areas? Well, here's, here's the 30,000-foot the overview. Paul is saying, in my terms, but Paul is saying that when the, the agendas, the attitudes, and the beliefs of the culture match exactly or are very familiar to and look very similar to the agendas, the attitudes, and the beliefs of the church, something's wrong in the church. He's not trying to fix the culture because we can't expect people who do not know the God we worship to live as if they did. But we can expect those who know the God we worship to live as if they did. So Paul, in, in this middle section of this book, is really, really hammering on food offered to idols. And we're going to talk about that again today. Uh, but we don't have a lot of that going on in our culture. <laughs> We don't have, you don't, you don't run into a bunch of people that say, hey, by the way, we sacrificed this goat that we're about to eat to Aphrodite last week. That's not happening. But Paul's point isn't always and only meat offered to idols. It's how we treat others, especially when it comes to, look, there's things in scripture that are very clear. They're wrong. If it's explicit, don't do it. But those things in, in our culture, in our lives that are amoral, that, hey, they're not good nor bad. It's just, there's some things out there. Paul's speaking to how we should approach such matters. So let's pray, and then we'll get right into 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Lord, you're God, we're not, and we know that, and we're so thankful for it. Because none of us would want to be a God or a, a, in a world that we were God over. We are, we have whims, we're fickle, and our wills are not always controlled, but you never change. You are the same yesterday, today, and you will be tomorrow. Lord, I ask personally that you stand in my shoes, that you give me your thoughts, that you speak your words to your people. This is your message for us, not my message for them. 
Give us eyes to see and ears to hear that which you would have us see and hear. And most of all, Lord, soften our hearts so that we can receive what you want us to receive. And if there's any conviction in this for any, any one of us, Lord, make it clear what it is that you want us to change. How might we respond to your word today? We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So I'm going to start with an illustration, then we'll read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This you may have heard, and I could flip it up, but this is how the, I could flip it so that it's husband and wife, and, and that one that one's kind of not being nice and the other is. Um, but this is how the story comes to me, and it doesn't seem fair to an author to change it so that I feel a little bit better about it. So you may have heard this before, but there was a couple who had been married about 15 years, and they were at that, you know, you have the, what, what, what uh, sociologists call the seven-year itch. You know, after you get married and, and things start kind of becoming routine, you usually have kids. And, and so it seems like you're always living for the children and you can kind of bicker. You might decide that you want to discipline your children differently. There's the seven-year itch. That's a time when many couples either seek counseling or don't and then don't make it. And then there's that year 14, 15, 16, that, that area. That's the, the kids are, they're, they're older, they're getting maybe toward their teen years. And again, it's just, everything's more expensive. There's always some frustration in the house and couples can get a little toward each other. So this couple's in that spot and they decide that they're going to try to figure out how to, how to deal with it. And so they, they wanted to make their marriage work, and they agreed on an idea that the wife had. For one month, they planned to drop a slip into a fault box. The boxes would provide a place to let each other, let the other one know about daily irritations, frustrations, or complaints. The wife was diligent in her efforts and, and her approach. Leaving, so one, one of the things was leaving the jelly top off the jar. Another was, you know, you keep leaving your wet towels on the bathroom floor, or dirty socks aren't in the hamper, on and on until the end of the month. After dinner, at the end of the month, they exchanged boxes. The husband reflected on what he had been doing wrong. I'm not sure that that's actually what his attitude would be, but we'll, we'll go with that he has goodwill. And then the wife opened her box and began reading, and they were all exactly the same. And the message on each slip was, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. What's the difference? One is thinking about changing the other for self. The other is concerned about the other and not self. That's what Paul is getting at for all intents and purposes in this chapter. He says in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, beginning in, in uh, verse 14, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry, I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. It's not, it is not the cup of thanks, or is it not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks? Uh, 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 excuse me. Is, not, is it not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ? And is it not the bread that we break, a, a participation in the, in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all partake in the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifice he's talking about in the temple participate at the altar? Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that the idol is anything? No. 
but sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? That basically what Paul's getting at right here is some people think that if you eat meat offered to an idol, it's as if you are worshiping that idol or worshiping the d- demon that's behind that idol. And, and he's, he's, he's just saying after last week we talked about, he's like, just don't, don't freak out about it. It's just meat. But if it offends your brother, just back off. And here he's saying, I'm just trying to be clear. I'm not saying that you should worship as you used to worship. We worship only the Lord, and we are one body, many parts, one body. It's the, 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 the communion. It, look, this is our worship. But then he turns it back to the meat offered idols. Everything is permissible. These are things he's been quoting all along, and he always tweaks it a little bit. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever they put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then, then don't eat it. Both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake, the other man's conscience. I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to struggle, whether Jews, Greeks, or the, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And then first verse in chapter 11 goes with this section above it. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, when I was in college, I took a class named, uh, called Pauline Lit. So it's just all the writings of Paul. And one of the things that we talked about is follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That sounds like an arrogant statement. Like, if you don't know how to figure out this thing with Jesus, look at me because I got it figured out. I don't know if Paul is being arrogant there. I don't think so. I think he's saying... I go to lots of different places, I'm with lots of different people, and there's lots of different cultural circumstances and contexts that I find myself in. And I've had to figure this out. And he's offering advice, godly advice, to the people on how to behave in a culture that is antithetical to, that is against the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that wants to pull you into it. Does that sound familiar? We live in a culture just like that. But we're not dealing with food offered to idols. I, I, mentioned a, I mentioned an example last week that I don't mow my lawn on Sunday. I've done it twice since I've lived in that house. I've lived in that house since 2014, since November of 2014. And it was because I was, one time I was heading off to Hungary, and it was, I was going to be gone, I thought, for eight days. It turned out for two weeks because of COVID. Um, and I needed to mow that lawn. So I did it one time, 
But I, I, I wanted to make sure that I didn't offend neighbors that, don't, that, that really see this idea of, uh, of Sabbath, at, the Lord's Day, as Sabbath. So it, it, I, don't, I, don't, I don't not mow my lawn on Sunday because I think it's wrong. Sunday's not a Sabbath for me. It's a work day. It's a long work day. But I do it so that I don't put someone else in a spot where their conscience, their understanding, their commitment to following Christ is challenged. That's what Paul's saying here. I, why, why would I put myself in a situation where someone else feels like they have to decide whether or not to judge me for what I'm doing? That's not fair to them. So to take it out of context of, of, of meat offered to idols, let me just give you a couple of examples from former presidents to see how what Paul is saying that we should be thinking of and trying to behave in such a way that we're, we're looking out for the good of others. And I'll have you keep this in mind, the golden rule. See, the way the world works is the silver rule or another rule. And look, I'm going to do to you the way you do to me. But the scriptures say, treat other people the way you would have them treat you in a similar circumstance. So this is Abraham Lincoln. Um, despite his busy schedule during the Civil War, I'm going to read it because I want to make sure I give credit to the author here. Abraham Lincoln often visited the hospitals to cheer the wounded. On one occasion, he saw a young fellow who was just about ready to die. And he walks out, he sits down at, at his bedside, and he says, is there anything I can do for you? And the young man said, please write a letter to my mother. Unrecognized by the soldier, the chief executive officer of the United States of America sat down and wrote as the youth told him to say. The letter read, my dearest mother, I was badly hurt while doing my duty, and I won't recover. Don't sorrow too much for me. May God bless you and Father. Kiss Mary and John for me. And the young man was too weak to go on, so, the, so President Lincoln signed the letter for him, and then added this postscript, written for your son by Abraham Lincoln. Asking to see the note, the soldier was astonished to discover who had just shown him such kindness. Are you really our president? Yes. Now, is there anything else I can do for you? The lad feebly replied. Will you please hold my hand? I think it would help me see it through to the end. So, are there other things that the President of the United States in the middle of a civil war could be doing? And could he have not called in his personal secretary to transcribe this note for this young man who's dying? Even though his policies were in part the reason that this young man was about to die? But in that case, the President of the United States was more concerned about him than self. One more president of the United States story, William McKinley. I remember all the stuff about William McKinley. He had to make a decision about an appointment of an ambassador <clears throat> to a foreign country, and two candidates were equally qualified in his mind. So McKinley, so when we, they were, they were, they were equally qualified, so McKinley was still, uh, when he was still a congressman, he had observed an inconsiderate action by one of these men. He recalled boarding a streetcar at rush hour and getting the last vacant seat. Soon an elderly woman got on carrying a heavy clothes basket. No one got up to offer her a seat. 
So she walked the full length of the car and stood in the aisle, hardly able to keep her balance as the vehicle swayed from side to side. One of the men McKinley was later uh, to consider for ambassador was sitting next to where the woman was standing. And instead of giving up and helping her, he deliberately shifted his newspaper so as not to make eye contact with her. When McKinley noticed this, he walked down the aisle, graciously took the basket, and offered the lady his seat. The man was unaware that anyone was watching, but that one little act cost him probably the crowning achievement of his life, to be an ambassador to a foreign country, because he was unkind and was considering self over other Why does Jesus and Paul and the prophets in all of the scriptures speak so clearly, so bluntly, and so often about how we treat others? What if God treated us like we treat others? What if God were selfish and only thought of what would please himself? And some would argue that God does that already, that God, because he wants to be glorified, because, um, because he wants to be worshipped, that, that there's an arrogance there. That's not God. God wants to be glorified and God wants to be worshipped because he knows the way he created us, is to always be concerned with someone else. And our highest, our greatest concern, the, our ultimate concern, the one, the one who made us deserves to be thanked, deserves to be lifted high, deserves to be given the opportunity out of our own will to show us how he would have us live. And how would he have us live? Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be held onto or grasped, but took on the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He was willing to go and be obedient to God even to death on a cross. Therefore, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. When someone slaps you upside the head, Turn them the other cheek. If someone asks you to go a mile, ask them if you can go a second mile. If someone demands of you your cloak, give them your shirt also. If you think about it time and time and time and time again, all the things you learned in Sunday school, all the things you still read in Scripture, there are two relationships that God wants us to honor. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. When it says in the scriptures in Matthew um, that do to others as you would have them do to you, he says this sums up all the law and the prophets. Paul could really care less if people eat the meat from the marketplace that had been offered to idols or not. He does care of how one Christian brother or sister treats another Christian brother or sister. There are things that Christians think are right or wrong, but aren't explicit in the scriptures. And I might look at it and go, come on. My son, when he was young, had a friend over. A friend was Catholic. 
and Cam, my son, had a, had a cross necklace. And he, he was sitting on his bed, and his buddy was sitting on the floor. They were doing Legos or something, and Cam got up on his bed. He's very ADD, so he's got a fidget. And he took that cross necklace that was hanging over his bed, and he started spinning it. You know how you spin something, a chain that goes around your finger, and then unspin it, and spin it, and then unspin it? And his, his, his friend goes, you better stop that. God will get mad. And my son goes, he wouldn't get mad at that. You see, that's a small little thing. He was eight years old, and he already had an idea of what would make God mad and what would not. There's nothing in Scripture that say, don't flick around your cross necklace. So it's an amoral issue. I had kids when I was a youth pastor. Um, we, we had a, a whole pile, a whole box of Bibles that, um, that when we were going to do a Bible study, we would hand out. But sometimes someone would stand up and they taught, he'd grab that. Grab. There were kids that were absolutely blown away, like, don't throw the Bible. And some of you might go, yeah, don't throw the Bible. So we stopped throwing the Bibles, not because me tossing this, I won't do it, to Kurt is sinful, but because it upsets the conscience of another. What would our world look like if every Christian on the planet showed grace in the matters that are not explicitly, look, sexual immorality, Paul is all over that. Divisions and loyalties that are other than God, he's all over that. He talks in, in, in Galatians, this, he, in, in the, the works of the flesh, he talks you know, the, about licentiousness and debauchery, but he also talks about political party spirit. And he says at the end of this long list of things, witchcraft and, and orgies and all that stuff, he, he says drunkenness, and he, he says those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about specific sinful things. Don't do that. But what about the things that aren't explicitly sinful? How do you gauge what you should and should not do? How do you find an expression of Christian unity or Christian freedom? You decide based on loving your neighbor as you love yourself. You decide what do I believe is best for my brother or sister in Christ? What would the world look like? If we stopped demanding, I don't mean we, but our culture, if we stop demanding that you must bow to my will and whim and fickle heart, you must do what makes me comfortable. You must not do what makes me, what offends me. What if we were, everyone were looking to outserve our brother or sister? What if every one of us, think about husband and wife. I had a friend that used to say, I'm never going to let my wife outserve me. Now, I don't think he's going to win that. But that's the right kind of competition to have. How can I serve my neighbor? How can I love my enemy? How can I return evil with kindness, not evil with evil? Now, our world is never going to look like that. Feels like things are getting worse. Of course they are, because they're things of man. They're stuff of earth. But what about us? Can we be loving and kind and generous, peace-loving, not delight in evil, but rejoice in the truth? And can we love as patient, as kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not self-seeking, it's not rude, it's not... We're not always angry. We cannot make the world a better place, but we can be the better place by thinking about how we serve God by considering the needs, the desires, 
of the other. This is so subtle. But look in your home. I'm a man. I get really frustrated over stupid things. Spilled, this doesn't happen anymore. She's my granddaughter. I don't care if she spills whatever she wants to spill. But when my kids were young, why are you okay? You just keep, just hold them with two hands. We, we, get, we get frustrated about things that don't matter. We get angry about teams that lose. Some of us get frustrated. Our lives change based on what a 22-year-old does on a basketball court. And then we make other people upset because we're upset that our team didn't do well. Think about all the areas in your life where you get frustrated. I don't like how my husband makes the bed. I don't like that my wife is always nagging me. What if we were saying, what can I do to make sure that she is so pleased with how I behave that she has nothing to nag me about? What if, what if I was like, if, 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 you know, I don't like how my husband makes the bed. Well, the fact that he's making the bed tells you that he's doing something out of love for you, probably, because most men don't make the bed when they get out of it if they're single, because just like they don't tie their shoes after they take them off. What if we decided to see someone else's thing that they don't do it our way, but we looked at that and said, thank you. We looked at that and appreciated it for what it was, an offering or even a sacrifice for us. And what if we decided to be unoffendable so that other people and the, 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 the priorities they put on us, if they're not sinful, we just accepted them. Because Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live in harmony with one another. I know this sounds very much like the message last week, but Paul spent three chapters talking to his people about the other. So here's a couple of questions for you as we close this out. Are you primarily motivated in your day-to-day -day activity, the things you don't have to think about, are you primarily motivated by the other or are you primarily motivated by self? One way to know that is watch yourself, and this is how it works in me. I, everyone has a different temperament. My wife would never put it this way, but when, you, when you're watching the television or when you're interacting with someone or when you leave, I was at a, at a wedding reception. I told you this last week, last week, and some guy said to me something. He, he was just making a, a comment, but he had no idea how it hit me. And so the thing in me was like, I, it was like, I could just, in words, I could destroy you. I could take that and twist that on you and make you look foolish. But I had to decide in the moment to hold every thought captive. I had to decide in the moment. He didn't mean it to offend me. Therefore, I choose not to be offended. So those things in you that make you go, where you have to grit your teeth, or you don't roll your eyes outwardly, but you roll your eyes in your head, examine that. And ask yourself, is this really worth what it would do to the other? Or am I asking them to bend to my will and whim? 
See, I get very frustrated when other people don't live up to the expectations I have of them, even though I haven't told them what those are. But I have lots of grace for me when I don't live up to the expectations I've set for myself. So I can always see the fault in another, but I give myself grace and forgiveness when I mess it up. It should be the other way around. It should be that the other I give grace to, and to me, when I fail, I go to the Lord and ask him for forgiveness. Everything that we do, if it's not specifically sinful, we do not do those things and we do not tolerate those things. We don't say, oh yeah, that's fine. The Lord's fine with it. He'll forgive you. But the things that aren't specifically sinful and other people have a different standard by which they live than we do, if it's not taking glory from God and it's not condemning your soul, serve the other. Always choose the other. Doesn't mean that you don't have needs. We all have little things about ourselves that we believe. In my head, the lie that's always going on, doesn't matter what happens to Trent. God thinks it matters, but I don't think anyone else thinks it matters, and I don't think it matters to me. I don't, it doesn't matter to me what happens to me. That's not healthy. But it should always matter to me what happens to Kurt, what happens to Marv what happens to Troy. So don't let your own junk get in the way of what God specifically says. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Always be concerned about the good of the other. No matter who they are, whether Greek or Jew or person in the body of Christ, how do we make sure that no one ever outserves us? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the mercy of the opportunity to take off my coat. It is very warm up here. Lord, thank you that people, even on an uncomfortable day, are willing to come to worship you. Thank you for being a God who is always challenging us to be more like you, to be concerned about other and not self. Lord, your example in the person of Jesus is so clear that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Help us have the courage and the humility to consider the needs of others over the needs of our own. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.